Hello, and welcome back for another Toasted Tale with me, Jim. I'm really happy you decided to join me today around the fireside. If, like me, you enjoy hearing stories, then you've come to the right place. I think there are interesting tales in every subject, just waiting to be found and shared. In this podcast, we're going to take a random subject and use it as a seed to do some research for one short hour, and in that time I'll do my best to find a story that both you and I can find enjoyable. So let's bring in the Wheel of Fortune style spinner and find out what today's subject will be. Alrighty, so today it's landed on Shafran. Now just for clarity, I'm no expert on Shafran, and before today I've never had to research Shafran. I'm just a guy who likes finding interesting stories and learning a thing or two along the way. So without any further ado, I've completed the one hour's research, so as not to keep you guys waiting around, and I'm really excited to share with you today what I found. So let's begin by looking at the word. Shafran is a surname, which is derived from the Eastern Yiddish peoples. And the name can be found in Jewish and Russian families, but has also existed in various forms in Hebrew, Old French, Hungarian, Polish, and Middle High German. The root of the surname lies in the spice saffron. The name can be ornamental, used to describe someone with saffron-coloured, which is kind of a yellowy-red hair. It can be used to describe a job. So a merchant or grower of the spice, or it can also be geographical, so someone who lives near where saffron the spice is grown. People with this name can be found all over the world, and even though originally it may have been primarily in Jewish or Russian families in Eastern Europe or Russia, Over time, people with this name have spread throughout the globe. Interestingly as well, the country which has got the highest number and density of people with the surname of Shafran is strangely Sri Lanka, with the United States and Ukraine coming in second and third place. A few more Shafran-related statistics for you, if you'd like. If you are wondering what the religious devotation is of those holding the surname of Shafran, well in Russia, you've got a 92% of those people with that name who follow principally orthodox Christianity. In Belarus, you've got 43% following Catholic, and in the Ukraine, you've got 71% of people following orthodoxy as well. What about political leanings? Well. In the United States, those who have the surname of Shafran are 43.16% more likely to be registered with the Democratic Party than the national average. This is further compounded with the fact that 96% of people with this name are registered with that political party. And how much do Shafrans earn? Well, you know, it varies wildly, of course, but in the United States, They earn about 33.7% more than the national average, and that's about 57,000 US dollars per year. And in Canada, they earn 57% more than the national average, 
earning about 78,000 Canadian dollars per year. All very positive stuff. But what about the spice that the name's based off? Well, saffron is one of the world's most expensive spices. Its costliness has to do more with harvesting, with only a small amount of each saffron flower being used. And of course, the thing that's really propped up its high cost is that the harvesting of it must be done entirely by hand. Saffron is derived from the flower of Crocus sativus, commonly known as the Saffron Crocus. It probably descends from the wild saffrons originally in the island of Crete or mainland Greece, but its earliest origins are disputed, with many countries around the world claiming that they were the first. In recorded history, under the reign of the 6th century king Ashurbanipal of the Assyrian Empire in modern-day Iran, saffron was referenced in its botanical treatise as one of the spices that it grew and traded. As you can imagine with such a vividly coloured spice, one of saffron's first ever uses was to dye textiles. Examples of these can be seen in the bright orange robes worn by Buddhist priests in India, which make up the traditional image you would get in your mind when thinking about monks of that religion. Other uses for the spice, historically, are reference to ancient Greeks and Romans using saffron as perfumes to make them smell lovely and fresh. Also, in ancient medicine, Galen and Hippocrates, two forerunners of modern medicine, mentioned how, as a medical treatment for coughs, colds, stomach ailments, insomnia, and more can be relieved by the use of saffron. And finally, modern cuisine, where saffron is used throughout the world in different cultures for meals of all kinds. And so, where can you find all the saffron? Well, global production is mainly focused in Iran, which accounts for some 90% of the annual harvest. So if you're interested in getting into the saffron growing business, Iran's the place to be. So we know a little bit about the name. We know about what it's based on. So what about some important people who have had the surname of Shafran through the ages? I have five individuals who I think are worth taking a greater look at. First, we have Alexandru Safran, a Romanian and after 1948 Swiss rabbi. As the chief rabbi of Romania between 1940 and 1948, he was one of the prime people of that faith at that time. In September 1940, Romania allied with Nazi Germany during the Second World War and in the country, under their allies' influence, began introducing anti-Jewish laws. Alexandru started working at that time to fight against these measures. Desperate for allies, Alexandru appealed to the patriarch of the Romanian Orthodox Church, Nicodim Munteu, and they were able to put pressure on the government to revoke the orders forcing Jews to wear yellow identification bands like German and Polish Jews being asked to wear similar bands previously. Shortly thereafter, the government dissolved all Jewish organisations, and so Safran and other Jewish leaders formed an underground Jewish council. 
In the year 1942, Safran used all his contacts with ambassadors, notably the Swiss René de Weck, the Queen Mother at the time of Romania, Elena, and other church officials, including the papal Nuncio Andre Casulo, to convince Ion Antonescu, who was the current Romanian marshal and leader of the country during the wartime, to resist German demands for the wholesale deportation of Jews. As World War II continued, the Jewish Council organised efforts to aid and lobby for the return of Jews deported to Transnistria. Due to the efforts of Alexandru Safran, around 57% of Greater Romania's pre-war Jewish population of about 800,000 survived the war. That's a lot of lives, a lot of families that may not have been around today if it hadn't been for Alexandru Safran's work. The next person with the surname Safran that I'd love to speak about is Daniel Safran. Born in Petrograd in 1923, even before birth he was surrounded by music, with both parents being musical students when he was born. His father, Boris, went on to become the principal cellist of the Leningrad Philharmonic Orchestra, and his mother, Frida, was a talented pianist. Initially taught by his father in the cello, after begging for lessons, he was taught for a year and a half by his father, absorbing his father's key principles of how to play the cello and really embedding his philosophy on music. He said about himself after this that he became, quote, mercilessly strict with myself when practicing, end quote. After taking tutelage by Alexander Strimpner, the then professor at the Leningrad Conservatory, Daniel had his first public performance at the tender age of 10, where he played two technically demanding works by David Popper, Spinning Song and Elfentanz. At the age of 14, Shafran entered the 1937 USSR All-Union Competition for Violinists and Cellists. This was a competition for young musicians from all Soviet states. Although strictly he was below the qualifying age limit, he was allowed to enter as an unofficial contestant. But of course, he carried off the first prize. It was said of him that his, quote, filigree virtuosity and poetic appearance had caused something of a sensation, end quote, and Shafran achieved national prominence. Daniel was also awarded a magnificent Antonio Amati cello as part of the prize. And unusually for a major cellist, Shafran played the same instrument throughout his entire life. He formed an unbreakable bond with the Antonio Armati cello, and always played it. Shafran, at 27, graduated from the conservatory and pursued a career as a soloist, and was recorded very widely. Throughout his career, he performed in Russia, Romania, the United States, UK, Japan and Australia. To get some insight of what his compatriots thought of him at the time, the cellist Stephen Israelis summed up that, quote, As a cellist and musician, Shafran was unlike anyone else. At a time in which, thanks to various media, 
Musical styles are converging. Shafran's voice remains apart. His vibrato, his phrasing, his rhythm, all belonged to a unique whole. His astounding virtuosity conveyed a musical personality that retained the passion, the simplicity, and the poetry of a great Russian folk singer. He was incapable of playing one note insincerely. His music spoke from the soul." End quote. And a slightly different opinion from the pianist Svatoslav Reitscher stated, quote, A brief association with the cellist Daniel Shafran gave me little pleasure. He was a great cellist, with a distinct tone, but whenever he played, you always had the impression that he was thinking only of the moment when he would have an interesting high note that he could hold on to and produce an attractive sound. He also suffered from nerves. I stopped performing with him in 1951 when he joined up with Gregory Ginsberg, another pianist. As a musician, if not a cellist, Rostropovich was incomparably more interesting an artist of far greater stature. He dwarfed him completely." End quote. He was referring to another great cellist at the time. And so, while a prodigy, Daniil had, like many famous people, his admirers and detractors. What's certain, though, was that he was technically brilliant and wowed audiences across the world. On to the third of our five Shafrans, this time Isaac Gregorovich Shafran. But first, have you ever played the game chess? You probably have, it's quite a popular game. Did you know there are other ways of playing it? Well, this is where Isaac comes in. He invented a new hexagonal game of chess with its own quirks, rules, and changes based off the original. As the name probably suggests, it's got six sides, and even though it still has only two players playing at once, it has them at either end of the two points furthest apart, and challenges each player to overcome their opponent. This was demonstrated by Isaac at the Worldwide Chess Exhibition in Leipzig in 1960. And if you're a fan of chess, and maybe wanted to shake up your skill set, maybe have a look into these alternative chess boards, learn the new rule sets, and give them a go, and see how you find them. Next up, Nigel Shafran, British-born photographer and artist. His work has been exhibited at the Tate and the Victoria and Albert Museum. In the 1980s, Shafran worked as a fashion photographer before turning to fine art photography. Talking to the Guardian journalist Sarah Phillips, Shafran described his work as, quote, a build-up of images, often in sequences. There is a connection between them all. Basically, I'm a one-trick pony. It's all life and death, and that's it, end quote. Looking through Nigel's pieces on his website, they are often of quite random scenes. Each gallery has a theme, for example, one is called the people on the street, another is called mobility shops, and each photo in that gallery is connected to 
each other. And like with a lot of great photography, it allows you a window into the time and place of where the photographer was. It allows you to focus on the prominent bits and also take note of everything else that kind of blurs into the background, making the whole but not shouting too loud. I would recommend you check out his photography for sure. And so, the final chef ran this time, Robert, starred in the 2018 Sundance Film Festival winning documentary, Free Identical Strangers. This film was about the lives of Edward Garland, David Kelman, and Robert Shafran, a set of identical triplets adopted as infants by separate families. In this documentary, it recounts how the brothers discovered one another by chance at the age of 19, their public and private lives in the years to follow, and their eventual discovery that their adoption had been part of an undisclosed scientific nature versus nurture study of the development of genetically identical siblings raised in differing social economic circumstances. Now I've read a little bit about what goes on in this film and it has definitely been put straight on my to watch list and I think deals with some really interesting ideas. Definitely check it out and if you do leave me a comment and let me know what you think. Also, I want to thank you for spending your time with me today around the fireside. I've really enjoyed learning about the surname Shafran, and its origins, what it's based on, and also some famous Shafrans from the past. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, then there's a way that you can find out when new episodes come out. Following me on Twitter, at PodcastTale, will let you know when a new episode has been released, and also any other interesting news I want to share on there. So follow me on Twitter at PodcastTale to ensure you never miss out on another toasted tale around the fireside. If you would like to join me again for another story around the fireside, then I will be back here every Tuesday and Thursday. Your company would of course be greatly welcomed. And I hope that you all have a lovely rest of day, and I'll speak to you again all soon again for another toasted tale around the fireside.